Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made three low-budget feature films of varying success, and I went to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length projects on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the kinds of conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. Welcome back to Discount Film School. So the ti- it's right there in the title, Film School. Why, why the fuck would you go to film school? Um, and, and I remember coming out of high school being like, well, I hope that I actually meet somebody at this, uh, at this new school that I'm going to go to that, uh, that I can connect with, that I can collaborate with. Like I, hope, I hope relationships form. That's kind of what you want going in. And uh, uh, today's guest, Kurt Krober, uh, who hey, I've... Hey, hey. hey Kurt. Uh, who I've known since 2004... Um, was, you know, I have to admit, Kurt, like a, a significant part of my film education, which, which sounds absurd, but it, it's, it's really not. Um, uh, we met, yeah, freshman year, um, kind of like-minded film nerd type guys. Uh, I remember one of the first things you said to me, Kurt, was you were like, this is where all of the people that are commenting on IMDb go to school. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember saying that? I do not remember saying that, but I don't have a memory, so you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, like you were sort of, I think you know, because you're a big dude, easily recognizable, um, and you had like uh, you had a series of film shirts that you bought off of eBay, I think it was. Yeah, they were like white and they were like iron-on transfers. Yeah, so it looked like you made your own film shirts, but realistically, you were buying them from like a nerdier person than you. But I admitted it too. I wasn't yeah. like I wasn't like they're mine. I was like, no. <laughs> um, so yeah. So we 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 kind of went through a series of you know throughout the if the friendship was based on a common love for films and making films, um, we would follow through with a number of significant creative collaborations over the years. Um, I'm trying to think back to like the kind of the very first one. Like I remember it was kind of just that period of time where you're feeling, feeling people out at school and you're like, all right, who am I going to fall in with? Did you work on the elevator movies? No, I was like going home every weekend and you guys were giving me shit for that. Cause I want, like, I had a girlfriend back home and that when, like when you go to college, it's like, come on, you're going to end up breaking up with her. I married this particular one, but you did, you did the right thing. You kept that relationship together. Yeah. But you guys were, yeah, you, like I was, I would get totally envious because like these guys that I respected who I wanted to like be hanging out with and making movies with were making these, um, these two cent movies on the weekends. And I was trying to finish up my, the feature I had started in high school, which was all the more embarrassing where I was like, this is something I have to finish. And you guys were like, no, this is a new chapter. Turn a new leaf fucker. Um, yeah. Talk about the elevator films. I don't know. They're dumb. It's just, we just, we just gave Doug a camera and we let Jake do whatever he wanted. And then that was how it worked out, man. Like that was basically how all of the collaborative films in college worked. I didn't realize that I didn't make any movies until after I graduated college because Doug just made them all (laughs) or you or Jake or. Isn't that what 18 year old kids should be doing though? Is like, um, I mean, cause it was like, you know, you you have a dorm room. You have an elevator that goes to the dorm room. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, you know, YouTube it. It's elevator one, two, and three. Like, we had fun. Like, 
we pissed off that gay kid when we showed it at that horror film festival. That's tonight. right. I totally remember that. Tell that story. Uh, nothing. When we were sophomores, I met this group of kids on my floor, and I walked by them and said, that's a group of people I don't want to meet. And <laughs> later, we got an altercation, and you know, someone that we know may or may not have written a uh, derogatory slur on their whiteboard. And then fast forward, we showed this movie that's very insensitive to – Everybody. To everybody, to everybody, yeah, <laughs> at a film festival. And he huffed and he puffed and he walked out. I see that guy all the time in L.A. now. See, you say that like you're like, oh, I don't know if I actually made anything until after college. But uh, because what, what, like when I was – I've told you about this um, this kid from Oklahoma, this Jade kid who kind of picked up on – he picked up on Doug's work on Vimeo and became like this huge Doug fan. And that kind of led him over to me who would actually talk to him. Because Doug ain't having any of that. <laughs> um, Doug, ain't talking, Doug ain't talking to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and uh, uh, I started, you know, he, he, it was clear that, like, I could, try, I could try to show him, like, Frankie stuff all day, and he's interested in that. But you could really tell what he was interested in was, like, Kurt, Frankie, Jake, Willie, Doug era films. Like, that was something that had really captured his imagination. And uh, so I was like, all right. So, like, it was, it, it, to, to this one guy, at the very least, it, it became interesting. But what was fun for me was I got to go back, and I was like, well, all right, let me make sure, like, if, if you're interested in this shit, let me see if I can find it. Because you have some stuff on YouTube, and Dan has some stuff on YouTube, and Jake has some stuff, and I've well, got a lot I, of stuff. I have all that ECW shit. Yeah, well, so I started going th- – so you were part of uh, – you eventually became the um, the head? What do you call it? A co- the coach? <laughs> I, I'm going to call it the showrunner, the showrunner of um, <laughs> the coach of uh, of Emerson Comedy Workshop, which was like the Dennis Leary founded uh, comedy uh, sketch club. It's, I mean, that's how that's how it was sold. It was the oldest of the the six or seven campus official sketch comedy groups. And you guys were always pretty like productive and prolific and you took it very I remember I mean you took it very seriously creatively. It's all I did. I didn't make I like I didn't really make movies in college. Like everything I made was for ECW or basically for ECW or of that ilk either way. I mean, taking a big step back from it now and just kind of clicking through the YouTube shit, especially towards like the end of college, like junior, senior year, there's a serious amount of content and it's all really goddamn funny because it was, I don't know. I mean, like it, it looks very spontaneous, but it really, it was less so than, than it looks. No, there's one video that everyone thought I was completely improvising that was scripted to a bone. Yeah. Uh, the yo, this guy sucks video. Right. Which I had something to do with. Yeah, you did, man. Yeah, we were all. Shot- huh? You shot that? I shot it. Yeah, I was. I was getting a little bit better with the camera. I will never go back to that. But I was. I was like competent with the camera. Like you always gave me a lot more, um, like props for that kind of stuff than I think I probably deserved. Uh, but um, yeah, I think it was like it was like you and Dan Cohen, who was a mutual friend of ours, kind of connected towards the end of college. And he was sort of he was like, all right, well, I'm a writer and I'm going to, you know, and that's what you really needed in a comedy troupe because everybody wants to be the big performer. And you yeah. really needed people that were going to turn out scripts. Yeah, I mean, I just I just wrote so much to, like, not get terrible sketches in the thing. Yeah, like I literally wrote out of spite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, that's good. Like, the more you write, the better you are at it. It's why I'm so rusty right now. Because you haven't written in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, like, circa 2009, you were pretty active, right? Yeah, I had, like, I finished, like, like so much that year. But 2009 is a long time ago. Yeah. 
Sadly. It doesn't feel like it, but we've been out of college for almost six years. Yeah. Yeah, I went back you know, for grad, but um, I've was, been out of college for almost six years. Yeah, which was a, its its own weird experience. Uh, when I found with grad school, it's not it's not like you know it's not nerdy film kids. It's not eighteen year old kids with iron on shirts. It's it's uh people that are coming out of like psychology degrees and people that are a little bit older. I mean, they were my age, but they they weren't necessarily from a film or media background. And they and and some of them, I mean, like you're you're going in there to get a degree to teach people how to make movies to be a master in filmmaking. And uh, some people had never touched a camera before. They had no idea how to how to even start. And that was really weird. Uh, well, I think that when you're twenty. Two or twenty three or twenty four, you're willing to learn, and when yeah. you're eighteen, and when you're eighteen, you're not. And it's like I was thinking about this, where it's like Emerson was such a like there were people literally just babysitting you, like making sure you didn't get drunk enough, and like the way you were graded as is if you went to class. Like it wasn't like challenging; you could really skirt by because there were so many people fucking up so bad that like you didn't have to actually try to get an A. And it was like who cares about grades? And it's all about like you know, the amount of work you put into it, but like you only learn that as an adult or you're someone like you that is making a lot more shit or you're someone like me that was doing Emerson Comedy Workshop. But I know people that didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, we always were down on ourselves for not doing anything and it turned out we were like churning out a movie a week. <laughs> well, it's really funny that that story you, you tell me about like the kid that like is it like likes all of us. Mm. It likes us as like a group because I think about that like when I when I was going into film school being like, oh God, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and the Coen brothers and Francis McDormand all went to college together. Yeah. Or oh God, Fred Decker and uh, who's the guy that wrote Lethal Weapon? Oh, Shane Black. Shane Black went to college together and you look at that and be like, oh my God, like what are they doing? And I think that like we had you who were making features and we had Doug who was almost autistic – <laughs> Very I'm extreme, just the extremely talented Doug Bergdorf. I, no, I'm just kidding. He thought like, but he like worked so hard and made so much stuff. It was always, and you guys were always fiending to make stuff. Yeah, it was like, an, it was inspiring and it was good because we weren't like the people built for like. Because I don't know if you told your podcast this in the past, but Emerson has the worst film clubs. It is like exactly what the industry is like. Mm. It's just like so well, maybe they're good. It's like how much brown – yeah, right. Maybe they're great. It's like how much brown nosing can you do to be the director of this project? It's like it's not It's not based on like – I don't know. It, it was just so unappealing to every one of my friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you're trying to like – you really do want to spend time being the director or being the writer. You, you, you don't want to kind of like I, – I think I've described it on past podcasts as like in a in a in a – kind of enclosed creative environment like that with clubs like that um little celebrities kind of pop up like that guy is like you gotta get him to shoot your movie because he shoots all the best projects at emerson this is like it's more about finding people you gel with well hey man that dude is legit getting paid to be a dp now yeah larkin's a big deal out here yeah and that's the apparently the uh oh wait a minute you're actually talking about that kid yeah like larkin (laughs) who's that guy you're talking about like he's legit like (laughs) He is the exception to that rule of, of like like that mini celebrity at Emerson turned him into a mini celebrity at Emerson LA, which turned him into a mini celebrity in the market because it's also incestuous out here too. Yeah, but it's like, I, I don't really, but I don't really give a fuck about. It. I mean, like I, I I think that's great for him, and I'm sure he's extremely talented. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's a good DP for me. 
No, no, no. And and I think that you are an independent filmmaker. Yeah. Emerson doesn't breed independent filmmakers. Right. At least not the undergrad. It, yeah. At least, especially not the undergrad. And yeah. I don't know what the grad program's like. And I think that's probably what grad program is. Yeah. Like in every school, unless it's like you're going to USC and you're just trying to become a grad student to like suck some Eckes's dick or something. They were they were, like because it's Boston. Um, the grad program had a little bit of an emphasis on like. Uh, documentary filmmaking like they knew that like you're you you're you'll probably stay in this city um you'll probably try to get a grant from pbs or wgbh or something like that um that's kind of that's what it was really, really for there wasn't a lot of narrative going on there either but um but there was a lot of narrative going on in the undergrads but they kind of also like they wanted you they wanted to keep i wouldn't sp- call it narrative you don't think so no i'd call it like masturbation i <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, because you're fucking 18. I mean, right? Like, so, like, you're either doing masturbatory experimental films or you're doing masturbatory gratuitous films like we did. Yeah, true. Yeah. But this with is... The, literal, like, masturbation with mayonnaise or whatever fucking short. They're pretty... I mean, I hadn't watched them in maybe eight years. And uh, they're pretty wonderful wonderful to return to. I mean, I was just like... Th- th- this, this Jake Emanuel kid screaming on camera... Um, is a find. <laughs> and I, I knew it then and I know it now. Well, he, you know, he started a new sketch troupe, right? Did he really? I knew that he was making, he, he's been on this pod too and he told us that he was making some shorts and he shared a rough cut with me. That's the extent that I know. Yeah, him, McGorry, Matt McGorry, who's this guy we used to do uh, comedy with in college who's brilliant and is on uh, Netflix's new original series coming out next, Orange is the New Black. Yes. Written by Genji Cohen, the creator of Weeds. Like they made a bunch of sketches in a week and it's like it was i went and shot on one with, with them and it was wonderful to see our friend jake emmanuel and our friend matt mcgory who were the funniest dudes in college like being the same dudes where it's like you leave that environment because emerson really fostered it where it was like you know frankie was giving me shit if i wasn't making something or doug was always making something so it, it reminded you to make stuff and then you come out here and you try to make it in the industry or whatever and you forget about what you did it for. <laughs> you, you you played in a, a very important role. Everybody knows that you played an important role in the lives of me, Doug, Jake, Willie. Um, you were this weird sort of, um, I don't know, you, 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 you were um, you were almost like a media studies kind of a guy that, w- that was concentrating on production. I mean, when I met you, you had, bar none, more pop culture knowledge and even historical film knowledge than anybody had ever met. Uh, and then, and you were able to like, you would often sort of assign roles like, oh, you remind me of, you know, the way uh, Edgar Wright first started out, or you reminded me of, like, we would always have those discussions of like, yeah, I'm this or I'm that. And it was kind of, it was, it, 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 that added to the fuel for sure. Do you remember like just always having those kinds of conversations? Yeah. I mean, like, I think that's, I think that like, I think I'm trying to figure out what to do with myself now because I don't want to work at the job that I work at. So it's like. You know, trying to reevaluate and whatever. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out like what I'm good at, and I think I am a producer. I think that's what I did. Absolutely, first. because you're you're sitting here going like, oh, I never really directed, or I never really was the sole writer on something. But it's like if you look at Kurt Krober's sphere of influence across yeah ten years of creativity, you see a lot of projects abound. Totally, and and that, that's more of a sphere of influence is a better concept than you know like. <laughs> Because I didn't direct anything, you know, like anything I did direct was bad. And in that environment, you remembered, you're not remembered, but like you're, 
you consider directing the most important thing in it. Yeah. I don't know if it is, but it probably is. It's just a weird like question of moral belief or whatever. But I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think I get, I think I can help get shit done and I think I can help exert. I think I helped exert my influence to get stuff out there. Yeah. You're kind it was of just like, why I was perfect as the leader of that comedy troupe. I wasn't the best at writing. I wasn't the best at at acting, but I was decent at both, and I worked hard to make it be a cohesive product. Well, maybe maybe you know, as funny as it sounds, maybe showrunner is a good is a good name for it because it's you know without without necessarily being responsible for every sketch and every creative decision, I think that you provided a vision for what the comedy troupe on a whole would look and be perceived as. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you did. It didn't have that before me. It was, it was like, I, I, I ran it like such a dictator, like, cause at one point I let you into the troop yeah. super unofficially just to give notes at meetings to bad sketches. And it was like, it was wonderful because I didn't care. Jake didn't care. Dan didn't care. And I didn't care if anyone else cared. Yeah. So like, and Doug and Doug was doing all kinds of work for the troop as well. Yeah, it, you know, because why not? Because why not get the best people to do the things? And it was like, yeah, we let that person in this troop because you, like, have to, I guess. But, yeah. like, I didn't have to let them play on the football team. Yeah. They sat on the bench. So let's think about – let's try to – let's see if we can um, apply a chronology to so, – because we'll be able to hit on a lot of the ideas that we've had over the years if we kind of go project by project. Let's see if we can actually do this. Um I bet we start with final exam. Yeah. So after I would say like the first significant one after the elevators and after sort of I was still kind of finishing up 10 pounds. I think we all converged into final exam, which you know, final exam is like crazy. If you like look at who's on it, because like beyond it being like me, you, Jake, Doug, uh, Rob Morrison, who was on Avenue Q and like is in like a like, you know, he's doing really well on off Broadway. There's also both Mickey Schiff and Andrew Wesson, who are both in successful indie rock bands. Yeah. It was like just like a room full of talent. It was a room full of talent. Like, yeah. it, it's actually, I watched it again and I was like, he's in it? He's in it? He's in it? It's like, in like, you know, Brett runs Blue Man Group on like cruise ships across America and like, it was a weird. Yeah, troop. it was, it was, um, if, if memory serves, it was also one of the first like, um, uh, I would say famous like creative fights that the whole group had together, which would yeah. which which would just happen again and again and again, no matter what, because it was just it was a bunch of alphas who gave a big fuck um, yeah. in the same room. And uh, there were even betas who gave a big fuck. Yeah, yeah. Like not to call Willie a beta because he's not, but he's quiet most of the time. And then all of a sudden he'll scream about something. Yeah, and you're like, holy shit! And like I didn't even, you know, I I, I I'm not sure that I knew. <clears throat> Doug in his director persona quite yet. Like I, in that capacity, I'm not sure I knew him like that, <clears throat> but basically it was, um, we all had decided like we wanted, there was this, uh, this college, uh, regional college film contest called campus movie fest. And it had some cool prizes and shit. And it's the kind of thing that normally I look at and go, ah, fuck it. I'll like, they'll probably give it to some pandering fucking asshole. I'll never get it, whatever. But you guys like were off doing it and I was still going home on the weekends and I kind of caught wind of it. And I was like, well, let me see if I can kind of like weasel my way into this. 
And then I, I start like I kind of stopped going home for a few weekends because I, I, I kind of identified it as like this. This would really suck to not be part of this. It feels it feels right for me. <clears throat> and it uh, was. It yeah. defined the rest of our college. Yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, I'm really glad I did now. Um, but the uh, we couldn't agree on on a story concept. I ended up writing the most horrible. I, I, I would be so embarrassed if anybody saw it. It was this. Was, yeah. Was the one about the thing that, that went in the brain. Uh, what the fuck was that? Maybe. I don't even. I don't remember. I don't even remember that. No, it was, it was like almost like a like a dramatic like student film about like blindness. It was horrible. I don't even know what I was. Th- oh, I know what you're talking about because it was some. Yeah, it was some weird. It was some weird um, brainstorming session the whole group had because I think somebody had like a spy cam that they could put on a string, and we were trying to design. I think it's. I think it was Doug actually, and we were trying to design a story concept around that. Like around the camera, which is fucking dumb. It's such an eighteen-year-old move. But we didn't. But we didn't. So so we kind of all broke. And then Jake, of course, was like, "I'm gonna write the fucking script." And then he showed up with uh, with basically what would be final exam, which was like very simple concept. They they give you a theme. They give you a. In our case, it was expanding horizons. Remember that? Yeah. And so like you have to make something that loosely fits that. Um, I think it's just I don't even know why they bother with that. Everybody's gonna just gonna make the movie they want to make anyway. So, uh, uh, yeah, he he had this sort of hot for teacher concept where um, kids having a tough time finishing his test. The teacher's looking hot. He goes into fantasy mode, starts making out with her, and his script, his version had um, like a, a, a you know that scene in Five Hundred Days of Summer where like Joseph Gordon Levitt like leads a whole like dance thing outside. Yeah, he had that happen, and I remember. I remember that, and it was good. Yeah, but possible. Yeah, we 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 didn't know how to how to make that work, and then um, when Doug kind of organically became the director anyway, it was kind of clear that it was like his his music video style was going to fit better. I remember Doug and I sitting around playing round after round of Nintendo 64 Mario Kart. And uh, we started talking about, like, maybe it needs to just be kind of like a, like, the windows fly open, papers fly everywhere, and it's one of those scenes. And it got, it got Doug all excited, and he was like, you got to tell them. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and then I did... And that's ultimately what we went with. I remember, but then like what happened was like little small factions throughout the big group started forming. Like me and Doug were talking, like other people were talking, and it, it erupted. I remember you got super pissed at us at one point, and then we got really mad at you, and it was all over the. Yeah, I remember like, screaming and storming out and saying you guys sucked each other's dicks or something. <laughs> I don't remember over what. Didn't you do the the famous Kurt Krober like um, you sort of like march in place for a moment? Sure, man. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you, I know what you're talking about. you march in place and then you go high pitched. And I've been described by by Dan Cohen actually as knowing the exact meanest thing to say at all times. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because you're a nice guy, which means that you know what a nice guy would not say. <laughs> I guess that's what that means. I Thanks, think. It, man. Yeah, well, because a mean a mean guy doesn't necessarily know how to be mean. He just is mean. You know, that's that's how I'm gonna spin this. So, uh, <laughs> we shot it. Long story short, we we won um, not just the college, not just Emerson, but we won the whole region. And there, it wasn't countrywide at that point. It was, yeah, that's right. They didn't. It was just like a New England thing. They went countrywide. I heard from you years later that we we screened it like Vegas or something. Yeah, I never they still like 
they still cut us into the promos for Campus Movie Fest. Really? Yeah. That it's was, a shot of Roxanne, like, looking sexy. Man, it really is, like, almost 10 years ago at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, whatever. Uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that's where all those relationships converged. And then, let's see, let, uh, the next year was probably, like, film twos and stuff. You started getting really active with ECW. What was, well, like, we made our film one together. We made, we made Frankie Stein. Yeah. Which I'm not sure. The only reason it's called Frankie Stein is so that it's not called Frankenstein. I think it's called Frankie Stein because it's a great pot and who gives a fuck. <laughs> but it came out pretty good. It was uh, it was it, like it kind of was what we wanted it to be. And Willie got to be a fucking he got to be the, the hunchback, which you would later write the major screenplay for. <laughs> God damn it. I forgot about that. I never connected that. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> that's what they should have. That's the that's the promotional photo they should have taken for like a uh, uh, newcomer rights hunchback remake. Of Willie sticking his finger in my belly button. <laughs> like rubbing some cheese around your belly button. Um, but yeah, that would, I, uh, y- you know what I remember, Kurt? I'm not sure if it's even worth talking about, but Sphincter Cannons. You came, oh, out yeah. of, you came out of high school with a project in hand, too, that was kind of your thing. You're like, I feel like I should finish this. And it was well, yeah, because my, fr- my friends and I wrote like a 20-minute screenplay my freshman, after my freshman year of high school. And it was like – maybe it was longer. I don't remember. It ended up being like 17 minutes when I shot it. But I was just like, fuck it. Like I think I made it the summer after my freshman year and I was like, fuck it. I should make this thing. I should try to be a filmmaker. And you know, I don't really like what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you often have like a, a very funny broad concept like the title Sphincter Cannons. It may it brings a smile to my face. I love titles more than anything, man. Yeah, yeah. The first screenplay I wrote in college was "Take the Mummy and Run." Yeah. Oh God, I want to talk about that. But yeah, like very, very ham-fisted, uh, intentionally ham-fisted titling. Uh, that was like that would that would show up all over the place. But before we get to like uh, screenwriting, which we all started kind of really focusing on at a certain point, as uh, any good film student should do. You think so? If you want to be a writer, director, which everyone fucking enters film school doing, you need to focus. Yeah. You mean like on a concentration? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I just never did. I don't know if that's a bad thing. You just did at different times. I think I focused on production, honestly. I think I felt like that's what I focused on. Because I I, like when I think back, I so like I'm I'm coming up on directing a new feature and I'm not writing this one which is the first time I haven't directed my own writing. And um, What about for, that short? Which short? Didn't you kind of half direct it? Didn't you like help direct it? Which one? The dildo short. The dildo short? <laughs> I didn't watch it. You sent it to me and I'm a bad friend and I didn't watch it. Oh, it was- vibes, vibes, vibes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I didn't mean to have directed that one. <laughs> I kind of had to step into it. This one I actually fully intend I was like the dildo short. Um, uh, it's about dildos, right? Yeah, 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 totally. It, you, uh, now I get it. But um, at first, I thought you were—I thought you were referring to really early Willie Block movies. Oh, Fairy Ninja. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We had all these dildos, and we needed to do something with them. Yeah, you had to—you guys had to buy uh, like a big black um, stick-on dildo um, yeah. for ECW. And it became kind of like uh, it, like the talking stick almost, and like in our common room. 
<laughs> like we would just very uncomically, like somebody would just be wagging around this big flopping black dildo while while talking very seriously about our futures and our prospects. <laughs> this is a cock. It's a hot, sweaty room. There's maybe one fan going. I thought the best dildo we had in college was, you know, that like generic dildo, like they're just a vibrator. Yeah. Uh, there was one that had like this long fleshy dick on it that you could peel off and then it'd just be this flaccid dick. <laughs> there was, I always didn't, was didn't you guys have to make a giant pussy too? Yeah, we made a giant mammoth vagina, yeah. It was called Mammoth Vagina, yeah. It was Mammoth Cunt. Or Mammoth Cunt, that's right. And it was uh it was a it was a, a major set piece for one of your stage productions. Yes. What the hell was the concept there? Uh I don't know. Daryl would just write like the most vulgar sketches he could in college, and it was. I think the concept was that like Jake played a RA who was a dick, and he, one of the roommates had uncovered like a prehistoric mammoth vagina that had been trapped in ice, and Jake fucked it, <laughs> and then it queefed cornflakes. Yeah, and then like the lights dimmed, and it, and. I mean, we just did dumb shit in college, but we had fun. But you would stumble into like like bits of genius, like "What's Up, Talking Bicycle." Yes, there was a there was a great video. It was one of your first video sketches, like film. You know, uh, yeah, that was my freshman year. Yeah, yeah. It, I think honestly, I think that stands up to this day. I laugh at that to this day. Jeb considers it his best work. It's really good. Yeah. So it was Jeb Heil who was a. He was like one of the senior members, and Jeb was an interesting cat because he was like, um, wasn't he like ex-military turned film student? Yeah, well, he he wasn't like ex-military. He went, he joined the army for a little while. Yeah, he was a paratrooper though. Ex-military makes him sound like he's like you know tough. Well, until this moment, I thought maybe he was. No, he's not. <laughs> Let's make sure we know he's not. Um, Jeb Hiles not tough. I love you, Jeb. <laughs> well, he yeah he was um he, was it his was it his scripted concept as well. Uh, I think Daryl had written it. Yeah, so like they had. Or no, I think Jeb wrote it. No, Jeb wrote it for sure. They had written this um, this sketch called "What's Up, Talking Bicycle," which you I think you can still totally see on YouTube. Yes, um, you can. And it was uh, uh, basically like some some young kids are, are are smoking out on the playground, and a, a bicycle voiced by Rob Morrison, who, as Kurt said, has been successful on off Broadway productions like You're in Town and Avenue Q. Um, who has a really amazing like kind of children's entertainer's voice, and yeah. because he's a super funny and and willingly vulgar guy, you can use that to comic effect. So he played the talking bicycle who has like these nuggets of of uh, ethical value and stuff, and he brings our our childlike main character played by Daryl over to this junkyard. And it turns out talking bicycles got this racket going with this um, giant rapist played by Kurt. <laughs> where he brings uh <clears throat> he brings unwilling victims to Kurt to uh be beaten and raped and uh yeah and that was like like the, that was back when we would often you and I both would play very gratuitous gross outlandish characters that's all I'm good at well i apparently i thought so too about myself but i think i think i don't think that has to do just with what we're good at i think it was also what we were kind of brought up with don't you think like didn't you ever have the ethic of like I would do anything for film and stuff. I've changed my ways on that. But back when I was a kid, I felt that way. I mean, I think that you and I come from the trauma school. Yeah. Which is why you and I became friends in the first place. I think when I first met you, you were wearing a Toxy shirt. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, we were both fat bearded guys in college. Like, What were we going to do? What else are we going to do but do everything but show our dicks? You know, like yeah. – 
and I feel like we would have if the opportunity had been right. On the set of Psycho Sleepover, I started showing my dick. <laughs> I, forgot. I, I forgot about Psycho Sleepover. We have a lot to talk about. Yes, I, I started whipping it out, and I'm I like thinking back on it. I'm pretty embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, don't be. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking though. Best person on that production. I was just trying. I was trying to flip out those kids I didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> but um. So. Well, so, a lot of them have become my very good friends. Really? Yeah. Your friends? My friends, yeah. Like even like that Nick Tully guy. No, not that guy. That guy's a piece of shit. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> he he. I couldn't show him enough of my dick. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, yeah. So so it was around probably. You know, you, th- that gives you a sense of what we were working on. But then we, 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 I was really excited to join the, uh, there was a class at Emerson called writing the feature film. Yes. And we kind of, we kind of just sort of accidentally landed in this class with Diane Lake, who was a. I, think, I don't think we accidentally landed in it together, though. I think that was on purpose. Yeah, yeah, of course. We were like, let's try to take that together. Um, that makeup. Because you were really interested in maybe not necessarily making features, but you definitely were interested in writing feature format. Well, I think that, you know, I went to college being like, I want to be a writer-director. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm not good at being a director. All right, what else am I good at? And, like, you know, I write good jokes. (laughs) Kurt Krober. I like good jokes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so so we, you know, it's one of those, it it was taught by... um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure she's Academy Award nominated, but the film she wrote, Frida, is Academy Award nominated. Um, and she's a great, she's a great writer. She's a great she was person. Like our mentor. Yeah, she was very much. She was one of those people that you hope to connect with. And I really would not like. You look at her filmography. She is not going to connect with the fat bearded guys that are barely showing their dicks. But she did. That's- all she connected with me, you, Jake, and Dan. Yeah, um, she was like, uh, the, you know, she kind of believed in us in a weird way, which I think we needed around that time. Uh, For which sure. was like some kind of validation from somebody who was like older like that. Well, because Emerson's such a dick measuring contest, and like we weren't in the organizations, and you know, like you, you had your feature finished, but you weren't like proud of it. You were proud mm-hmm. to have finished a feature, but you weren't like, look at this good thing I made, right? And, like, our, our comedy troupe was the most hated one on campus. So, like, we all had very small dicks at that point in college. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it was kind of like the the space we were working in creatively. So we ended up – so she made us do all kinds of work. And we started, like, trolling the class, I would say. Like, a lot of the concepts we brought to the table were pretty trolly. Sure. Uh, but she never minded. And that's what was – I think, like, had she minded, had she tried to do anything about it, we would have made much dumber stuff. But we were like, all right, well, if, like, if we're allowed to kind of go out there, then maybe we really will sort of try in this class. And then we ended up – we all, all of us, except for Doug, um, ended up in the the writing workshop class where all you do – and this is really what I miss about film school. I miss this about grad school. I miss this about undergrad. You fucking produce content in this class. You write scripts. You bring it in. You read it. You tell each other why it's bad, why it's good. Yeah. That's all you do. And it was no really, really like, positive. No one, like, takes criticism either, too. Like, I have this friend in this band, and I really want to give him criticism, but I'm just like, it's not going to go over. Like, yeah. I'll just keep silent and, like, let it go. And it's, you know, it's fine because it's not, like, a close friend, so it's not like I am feel like I'm, like, hurting this great, amazing chance. Yeah. But it's, like... You know, unless someone asks specifically for notes nowadays, which, you know, you do, like I'll get screenplays and 
things from people being like, what do you think? Then I'll give them my honest feedback. Mm -hmm. But even then, people don't always want it. Well, they internalize it. I mean, you know, like uh, uh, I I would say that I receive that kind of information much much more receptively now because I just want to make the best movie possible. And also you're 27. Yeah. I'm, I'm older, you know, but when I was, a, when I was a kid, um, and we were making these movies, uh, <clears throat> you know, you, you don't really want to hear it. Um, especially if you're kind of already far into the project or you already invested your time, but you would often tell me like you, you would give me really good advice and maybe I would sort of be like, you know what the fuck you're talking about. And then like, I would, I would totally internalize it though. Like it would stay with me cause I cared about your goddamn opinion. And then guess what? Like down the road, I'd be like, I wonder if that's true. The, the biggest example of this would be like for my second feature, Abo the human monkey, I had a character based on Willie block and I was going to cast Willie Block because I thought that was the right move. And you were like, bad move, cast Ben Fisher, this dude you were just in a uh, in a stage production with. He's really good. Stage production of Cannibal the Musical. Of Cannibal the Musical. Well, we've had Ben on and now and we've had Jason on, so everybody's tired of hearing about that. Um, and uh, uh, I was like, no, it's got to be Willie. And then, like, <laughs> Ben Fisher just kind of, like, put it, put it out there for one minute. He's like, I could be in the movie. I was like, you should probably play the part of Willie Block. Like, and had you not said that, there's no way I would have thought about it. I remember being mad at you <laughs> because I was like, you're fucking stubborn and wrong. And I was like, you know, that's one of the examples where I was being a dick about notes. Like, I was telling you, like, every day. I was like, nope, don't have Willie in it. Like, you're wrong. And it's, I was like, you thing. know, because I felt like it needed to be done. And you are a close enough friend that I was like, okay, if this guy makes this movie with this guy, it's going to be very bad. Because yeah. Willie can't act. Right. He can do a he, lot of things. He's kind of proven that he can act with just his face. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I don't know. I was 19. I, I don't know what I was thinking. But I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just like when there's a friend and you care about them and you care about how their project turns out, it's like it's impossible not to say something. Yeah. Uh, there was a, you know, I, I spoke with um, on this podcast, um, the, the staff member at Emerson who basically mixes all the student film twos. Um, she's a really good chick, uh, Chrissy Hunt. And she was talking about, she had this, this student who just had this really wrong, 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 like, like film ruining musical choice, uh, in one of his projects. And ultimately she got, she kind of, she didn't know quite how to say it, but ultimately she convinced him to take the music out and it was so much better. And he agreed it was so much better. So it's one of those things where it's like, how can you not say it then? You got to say it now. Or are you going to yeah. let this kid fuck up his movie? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, sometimes you gotta though. <laughs> it let them fuck up their movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I suppose so. Um, but I don't know that, that that's my experience. Is like, no, people aren't gonna always take it well right then and there, looking at you, but they go home with what you said. Well, the intelligent people. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so so we shoot that movie. You have the rare distinction of having played a live action on screen part in all three of my features. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's a major distinction. I don't just, know how we're gonna have to do something just about the Ian Allen? Uh well myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well yeah, of course. Um, Is Nina in sexually frank at all? I mean uh Abo? She I mean what counts? What counts? She's in the very, in it, very though. background. She's in it. I, I know her. She's in that shot where um the debate the, scene the, the the news reporters, right? No, it's the debate scene at the end. Keith is Keith is similar, where like he's kind of in the background of Ten Pounds, he's in the background of Abo, and then he's like the main star of Sexually Frank. Yes, 
But um, yeah, yeah, I would say like like in the capacity you play roles in, like you have a consistent return. They're all the same size. I cameo in each movie. Yeah, they're all about a minute and a half. <laughs> a strong minute and a half. Uh, yeah, that's about right. Because ten pounds, it's you play the gorilla, and that's like a strong minute and a half. Abo, it's like when you storm into the apartment and kind of like take everybody out. That's like a strong minute and a half. And then sexually frank at the end. I remember like by the time we shot sexually frank, it was like yet another one of those sort of gratuitous uh, like masturbation scenes. And you were kind of like you were totally willing to do it for me, but you were kind of like oh, another one of these roles. And then I remember you said you were like, oh, it actually does fit into the movie, okay. Yeah, because I didn't know. Because yeah. I was like, you know, it, you know, I like my, I like the payoff. I think I get a payoff at the end, right? You do, Don't yeah, I? yeah, yeah. That's the whole point of it. But I got recognized recently as masturbating director. Who saw you? Uh, I forget his name. I, I Facebook messaged you about him. Um, oh yeah. I was at a show and he's like, "Have you ever been recognized as masturbating director before?" And I was like, "Nope, never have." That, <laughs> mean, like, that means whoever saw that movie also read the credits. Yeah. Because that's like what I call you in the movie. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I remember the kind of the first feature that you really tried to write was take the mummy and run. Yeah. Now what the, I remember it being really funny. I remember Diane Lake turning like bright purple. Well, I mean, like, was it so stupid? It was funny or what was it? Oh, no, I mean, it was, I mean, yeah, but I wrote, I mean, it was about these three kids that steal a mummy to buy a PlayStation three. They steal a mummy to sell it on eBay to buy a PlayStation three. Right. It's like, you know, it's stupid, but I've always written good jokes within the context of characters that you come to know. And like sometimes I can't write good movies. Yeah, I think sometimes you don't write – you don't always write the most comical situations, but the characters always have something very funny to say. Well, because the – you know, the note that I got on every movie I've ever fucking written is that every character is me and I'm very quippy in real life. Yeah, well, that's why the, some of the some of the scripts I've like you wrote a um, with Dan, you wrote a movie called um, Home Arrest, uh, House Arrest. Yeah, or Drink Friends. <laughs> Later titled Drink Friends, um, and I remember like that was one of my favorite things you ever wrote because the main character like that way of talking, that sort of jokey, quippy way of talking was built was baked right into the plot. Yes. Well, like, and then after that, I just tried to write me and everything. Yeah, you just went with it. And I think that's a good idea. Like, I think people that shit on uh, This Is The End, that, like, Seth Rogen, James Franco movie, and they're like, they're just playing themselves. What an inside joke. And I'm like, they just play themselves in every movie. Yeah, they might as well just James do it. James Franco's the only one with any fucking range. Yeah. Jonah Hill plays Jonah Hill. Seth Rogen plays Seth Rogen. Danny McBride plays Danny McBride. Yeah. And that's cool. I've never, I've never been the biggest Michael Sarah fan, but um, but Edgar Wright made it. You know, I, I actually I liked um, fuck, what was his movie? The Michael Sarah, the Edgar Wright Michael Sarah movie. Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Um, that movie ended up growing on me as time went on. I love that movie it, because I I just think Edgar Wright is so goddamn talented and um, and interesting. And he loves Michael Sarah. And I remember just hearing him be like. You know, I've been hearing this thing a lot lately about how Michael Sarah just always plays himself. And he's like, has anyone ever said that about Woody Allen? I don't think so. But everybody seems to give Woody Allen a pass on this. But there is such a thing as developing a comic persona that you bring to every movie that you're in. And, like, I think that it's exhausting sometimes where it's like you look at Danny McBride and I'm very sick of Danny McBride. Like, you and I couldn't have been bigger Danny McBride fans after we saw Eastbound and Down. We were like – It's this way. 
Foot this way, excuse me. Yeah. And eastbound down pile. Remember we saw it so early? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and we were just like fangirls and just screaming about him. And then now I don't even really want to see his face. <laughs> and like it's because he did the same thing over and over and over again. And it wasn't that funny a couple times. And you're like, well, fuck that. But I still like love Rogan. You know, Rogan's just playing Rogan. He's just doing it with different heart in the scripts. It's just smarter writing. I remember once you and I were in Burbank and we were just driving around probably overeating. And uh, <laughs> all we did in Burbank, all I did was eat at the Old Country Buffet in Burbank. That's like if you're a David Lynch fanboy and you go to the Bob's Bigger Big Big Burger in Burbank, where all he got was a cup of coffee and donuts. Frankie and I went to Old Country Buffet and we went everything. So if you are truly a Frankie and Kurt fanboy, you will go to the Old Country Buffet in Burbank and eat as much food as you can, and you bring people once, and they'd be embarrassed to hang out with you. You attempt to write an Adam Dio feature film. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. I think it was a- Birdemic too. You know that, right? We'll get to that. We're going to get to that. Uh, I believe, by the way, it was a hometown buffet. Oh, fuck me. I don't even know my own life. <laughs> Sorry. I don't even know my own life. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I remember being still being kind of impressed by, um, by take the mummy and run. I thought it was a lot of fun. And Jake and Willie were writing, um, uh, uh, Escape from Camp Badger right at that time. So we were all kind of like doing our thing. Uh, I got a chance to like workshop Abo in that class. I just, it was a writing class, but I got to just bring the fucking movie in and be like, you're all watching this. Super embarrassing you, to do, but. What well. were you writing in that class? The Christmas movie? <sighs> yeah, kind of. It was uh, Love Thy Neighbor. <laughs> and it was the idea. Oh, God and the Devil became neighbors, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny. It was cute. I, I, I it never found it. funny. I just can't believe you wrote that movie. Why is that? I don't know. I think we were all in a contest. If you look at all three of those movies, Escape from Camp Badger, Take the Mummy and Run, and Love Thy Neighbor, we were all competing to make the best 90s movie possible. We were all competing definitely for the like the most laughs in a class. Yeah, and that, and which to to the detriment of all of our scripts because it started to get to the point where it was just like whatever cheap pop I can get over these other dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever. Well, because also the way it was structured, it was like – it wasn't like um, – we didn't spend a lot of time outlining. It was more like uh, just bring in the next 10 pages, just bring in the next 10 pages. So we were almost improvising our own scripts at a certain point, and you only had a week to write them. Well, that's the, the way I write too. Yeah. I've never learned how to outline. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've, I've written three features now, and the fourth movie uh, – I I've did a lot of story development and I only ever outlined one of them and that was Abo. And um and it was because we were trying to parody the three act structure. So it needed to hit all the story beats the way a Hollywood movie would or else the sort of design of the movie wouldn't work. And uh but the other ones yeah, I kind of find the characters through their dialogue and then throw out the stuff that doesn't matter and try to enhance the stuff that seems to work. That's that's the best way I work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just don't edit. <laughs> oh, really? You don't kind of go back? Not really. <laughs> well, I guess it is kind of like a, I mean, you, you do almost write like an improv comedian. I mean, when I found improv for the year I did it, I found, like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is how I write movies. Like, it wasn't until I did improv that I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it, I, I just kind of say yes to everything that's happening in my own movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, created for 
I would say that every movie I've written is very entertaining. Oh, yeah, fuck it. Like, they're fast and they keep going and they don't stop and they're they're just stupid. Well, that's why they, it drives me crazy. that not, Like, I, I would love to sit down and watch one of them. But if I want that, I guess I can just go watch some ECW sketches. Or you can watch Psycho Sleepover. Yeah, so so nice segue. So the the, the uh, in between the time that we're kind of doing a lot of writing, I'm doing ABO. Eventually, you and I are going to go to Los Angeles together. Um, Live in one bedroom together. Right. Um, we one do- time, one time, Frankie. Um, I thought Frankie was masturbating. <laughs> Maybe I was. Who knows? Because the wall was shaking, but it was an earthquake. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Oh wow. Maybe it was me masturbating. I don't no, know. Definitely an earthquake. We looked it up. Okay. You were like, who looked it up? Not me. No, no, we looked up the earthquake shaker. All right. There's no way it was a coincidence. <laughs> it was one or the other, damn it. Um, but I remember in between that time, uh, uh, kind of like on our way out of Boston, we made yeah <laughs> two movies that I, I, I hold a, a special place in my heart. Uh, Yo, This Guy Sucks, which we mentioned, which is essentially – um, something I shot, but something that you and Dan wrote, which is you, it's almost like a, like a punked sort of a show. Yeah. Like that's the concept where it's like, you're, you're going up to this guy and giving I'm him. Just, sh- I picked this one guy to berate and tell people, tell like my local public access television show why this guy sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one guy is man- minding his own business and you're like making lots of presumptions about who he is and screaming about like, I bet he's the kind of guy that drinks at Jamba Juice and you know. Which I drink at all the time now. <laughs> Do you really? So, I love Jamba Yo, this guy sucks. And then the other one was uh, I, I was in a digital filmmaking class and this has been cited oh, on. I uh, forgot about this one. Yes. Well, you shouldn't forget about this because this is something that like people talk to me about to this day. It's called LCU Dodd. My assignment was to make a movie, a digital film, about um, uh, what the city means to me, or something, something along those lines. Uh, you give Frankie restrictions. He says, fuck you. Yeah, it was basically like you have to do it in this amount of cuts without music. Without, like it, was all these, it was supposed to go off that Five Obstructions movie by Lars von Trier. Sure, um, never saw it. Didn't care for it. Oh, you didn't see it, but you didn't care for it. I'm just assuming I didn't care for it. It's it's good stuff. If you you know the concept. Yeah, there's like five obstructions, and he's got to get by them. <laughs> well, this dude has to remake his movie five times under extremely different sets of circumstances. Meaning, the 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 core concept of the movie has to translate to each new, whatever. Fuck you. So um. Oh, that sounds that sounds really that sounds really interesting. Yeah, Is it a documentary? Yeah, it, it's uh, sort of. It's it's. It, yeah, I guess it's a documentary. It's like five short films that are the same movie. Yeah, it's the same. Cor- like there was a there was an Academy Award winning short film by I think it was a French filmmaker, and Lars von Trier comes up to him and goes, "I wonder if you could make the same movie, um, shot with non actors in Mexico, and no every cut has to be no longer than um, half a frame." Really? Yeah, it, yeah, like something, you know, it's like, well, now now try to make the movie again. And then the next obstruction is like, uh, now you have to do it with, like, only homeless people, and you have to star in it. Go make it again. You should have done I'll See You Dead that way. <laughs> I should have. Well, so that was, the, he was trying to, he was like, you know, I, the, the lesson of the class was like, through adversity, through limitations, um, interesting work gets created, which I totally agree with. Um Except I just really didn't want to do it. So I was like, we always kind of tapped each other for our homework assignments. 
Sure. Um, and I was like, Kurt, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Do you mind like just coming out with me? You were super apologetic, yeah. Yeah, well, like, because I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want you to have to do it, but I, I think pre- I was hungover. Yeah, probably, and you know, I, I probably was full from two nights ago, <laughs> and um, so I, I had written kind of a juvenile script about how much I hated the tea, and I think on paper it was kind of funny, but not that funny. There's a lot of jokes that made it in. Yeah, but it was all about. It was ultimately all about the Kurt delivery. Um, it was supposed to be like, what is it, what does it mean to Frankie? But it was going to be starring Kurt. So <laughs> he's like, hi, I'm Frankie Frayne. And from that point on, he's just like, he, he kind of took all of my, he, he would, he took my script and we just like, we were kind of talking about films and filmmaking. We were just like hanging out and between talking, I'd be like, can you just like read this part, please? And I turn on the camera and instead of reading it straight, you'd throw in little non sequiturs. You'd kind of riff off the page and all that shit turned into this messy slop fest of a movie that like, let's see, there's this guy like that I'm friends with now who I went to grad school with. It was the first thing of mine he ever saw and he fell in love with it. Uh, Julian Higgins, like I've talked to him just recently for the first time in forever. He's like, Hey, I watch LCU you dad every now and then. And I love it. Um, people still post it on my Facebook wall sometimes. Yeah. Like Karen's like, like LCU Dodd, like uh, my friend Frankie made, like I, I get it all the fucking time. I'm just like, that was Kurt and I not giving a fuck, <laughs> like giving the least amounts of fucks. And that's what, that's what happened. Frankie, we figured we should, what we should write together. Yeah. And you came in and punched up all us take a sleepover and we made it awesome yeah that's how we so you had been you had kind of been tapped by a gentleman named adam dio tapped <laughs> you you got pegged by <laughs> by adam dio who who had made uh two two um cute horror movies up to that point and uh and he was dating your sister at the time that was the connection yep. um and he had sort of fallen in with like rowdy roddy piper which was kind of cool um, wrestling star and uh, uh, star of They Live. And so, yeah, he was like, hey, I want to do this movie um, about, you know, basically like a like a sleepover massacre type of film it's called Psycho Sleepover. And, and he gave it to you and you, you made it basically like a Kurt comedy. And yes. it was it was great. Um, I mean, it was really funny. It just had those sort of those typical Kurt story problems where it was like, all right, those two people are the exact same. Let's just slice one out and make make one version of him and make him funnier. And then we would just hang out like on the, we would hang out in the sun for an entire day making each other laugh and it would all end up in the script. Yeah. So the final film, and we both ended up starring in the movie and I, I, I mean, fuck it. We're obviously the best people in the movie. Oh, for sure. I mean, other people are good, but you and I are fucking like you and I are delivering some of the best performances we've ever done. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think you and I knew what was at stake with this movie. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> no, you guys, you and I knew that you were like, hey, Adam's made two movies. He's on the trauma track. Like, this is going to get distributed. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Rowdy Rowdy Piper's daughter's in it. Like, there's a bunch of porn stars. This is exactly like the type of movie that ends up in fucking video stores. And it did. Mm-hmm. And you and I were just like, I mean, we wrote the parts for ourselves. Yeah. And like, we knew how to deliver the lines. And we just went for broke in a way that, like, no one that didn't write those jokes that are specifically Taylor designed for us could do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You played a, um, uh, like a, like half mentally retarded, um, like jockey football player yeah. who, who, who like has a raging heart on and is always eating chips of some kind. 
Um, and I played a uh, <laughs> an obese, ugly girl with braces who dresses like Punky Brewster on a bad day. And like my favorite, but is also a serial killer. Who's also a serial killer. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite touch for Ugly Jen, which was my character, was instead of when when all the other girls had purses or at least backpacks, she had like a. <laughs> <laughs> she had a few books strapped in with a belt and just slung over her shoulder, <laughs> which is like one of the best side gags. You spit up all that goo. Yeah, they gave me some kind of water sugar st- stuff that was awful. I remember I hung out with Roddy Piper's daughter like all day. We kind of became friends and she got to know me as Jen. She got to know me as one of the girls. And when I would like get back into like my civilian clothing – she was like, "Who the hell are you? You're a creepy man." <laughs> like she got, she got to know me as one of the chicks. It was really funny. I and thought I, that was fun too because you and I would just hang out in costume. Yeah, we would just hang out in costume and just always be riffing as those characters that we wrote. Oh, and people got so sick of it. Yeah, but not we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> but they, they started to just be like, "Shut the fuck up! We're trying to shoot a movie, <laughs> and these two won't stop making little comic noises." My favorite, my favorite moment of that movie now, when I watch it now, because I watch it every once in a while, because I do love it. It's a fun Halloween is, movie. Is the moment where the only acting that you and I have together. It's mm-hmm. like you climb over me and like, like I don't know, like I'm just not. I forget what I do, but I just love watching that movie because it's the only moment we have together in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we 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 completely. Um we, I, I just had it in, in my head. There was a, there was, I feel like there was some stuff that we skipped that you worked on. Fuck, it was just in my head. What was it? What was significant before that? Geezer and Gorham? Yes, Geezer and Gorham and, and Brain-Eating Aliens. Oh, yeah. Well, your two masterpiece Oscar-winning documentaries. Yeah. Yeah, well, because I thought about that because I, I documented the making of uh, Psycho Sleepover. That's, I was, like, into, like, even if it wasn't my own movie, I'd always document it because to me We really wanted you to come out and document Hyman. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't. Just timing. Did I say no? No, I just, you know, like, I don't know. Doug and I, like, panicked and rushed into production and, you know. Didn't. I offered Julian. I said next time you – because he, he, he's really into the special features thing. He just never – he never is, makes the makes it a priority. I was like, all you got to do is ask Frankie Frayne. He'll do it for you for free. Hey, Julian was the star of the geezer and gore behind the scenes. Yeah, so he and I talked about that a great deal on ours. But what was your role on that? I mean, you were you were making a 16-millimeter barbarian film for school. I mean, in the class, there was four assignments. One was DP, one was director, one was producer, and one was editor and sound. That's right. And I took the DP role and immediately gave it to Doug. <laughs> and then I like to call myself I like to tell myself that I was a producer of that movie and that I produced it in such a way by saying no you guys shouldn't shoot it Doug should <laughs> well and, also you put out you put everybody up in your home yeah I mean I did I was a producer I was a producer on it is what I was you know like I encouraged them to write that movie I was down for it like we, we shot it at my home I location scouted it like I did a lot of the costume buying. Like Willie and Willie and Jake and I all produced it together, but you know they directed it and wrote it, and it's a wonderful, wonderful time. I I have such fond memories of that. It's a super funny movie, and I'm glad I documented it because it kind of like just highlights those little sort of like horrible weather moments and. Also, uh, Frankie Frayne fans out there, it is the best thing he's ever done. Oh, because I'm right. I'm the goiter. 
No, the documentary. Oh, oh, oh it's your favorite piece of mine? Yes. <laughs> I threw it together, really. That's your best thing, and then Sexually Frank is your second best thing. Okay. All right, I'll take that. That, that, that should be that should be like its own release right there. The best of the Kurt Krober, Krober selection. No, man, I think the I think that the brain eating alien uh, documentary, I, I prefer it. No, you just prefer it because the situation was worse. I mean, we almost like I felt I honestly it's felt worse. like we almost died out there. Well, the drama's worse than the braining aliens, and you know the backstory, but you missed so much stuff because you were so scared to have the camera on because it actually properly sucked. Yeah, I mean, but you being like you really Michael Moore the shit out of fucking the geezer and Gorm one. Like I was, I was just driving around with with uh, my friend Joaquin the other day, and I was like. Hey, Joaquin, if you ever really want to see what college was like, you should go watch the Geezer and Gorm documentary. It's a half an hour. It's starring all of your friends. Yep. And it's fucking absurd. It's online, right? It's on your channel, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I fucking love it so much. Like, dude, you fucking knocked that thing out of the ballpark. Well, what do you mean I Michael Moore did? Like, did I – did Because I, uh... you're the main character of that documentary. Right. <laughs> like, more so than Jake or me or Doug. Because none of us wanted to be on camera. We were so mad. Yeah, you guys were very busy and really not into it. But, like, you really documented people being frustrated, busy, and tired <laughs> from the point of a man who was very funny, having a very good time. Uh, yeah, I, but I still I – rem- even when that shoot got really nuts, um, people had fun on that one. Yeah. Like well, that's we, the difference. Yeah. I mean, that's because – that's because bringing in those is a negative experience, and I think that Dan hates talking about it because Dan didn't handle it well. Right. You know, like not, no point of it that movie that did Dan handle it well, and and part of that is that Dan had a producer on it that didn't care because Willie was the producer and he had nothing invested in it. Unlike Geezer and Gorm, where Willie was a producer and you know it was his project, it, he was also a director. Um, I think it's a mistake to hand off producing completely to somebody else. I think that if, if you're directing a low budget thing, you should have your hands in the producing of it in some capacity. Yeah. And I think that Dan didn't know how to do with it turning into a nightmare. It was a nightmare. It was really, I mean, it was very, you know, you watch the documentary YouTube. I don't know. I think it's on YouTube. Um, the making, the making of brain eating aliens. Um, it, it was, was an Emerson comedy workshop sketch that we turned into a short. Right. It, it was a genuinely frightening experience at times. And I really, I never wanted to like bitch out was the thing. And I was trying to kind of keep like my spirits and other people's spirits high, but everybody dropped out except for a very small few of us. Well, the wonderful similarity between both of those films, both the bringing aliens documentary and the geezer and Gorm documentary is that they're both of them have Mike Potter being a saboteur. Yeah, he was like for a guy who's like the coolest dude and uh, like really nice and friends with everybody. He was not into either one of those movies. No, because they're both train wrecks. <laughs> and yeah, he was. He did not want to be part of the wreck. No, I still think I think Gizor came out okay. Uh, Julian was like the other day he, when we were talking. I didn't have the heart to tell him, but he was like, um, he's like, yeah, they ended up dubbing me over completely because the sound came out like shit. And I was like, yeah, but they could have dubbed. It dubbed it with your voice, but they dubbed it with Jake's voice because they didn't really like what you did. Yeah, but Julian's face is wonderful. Yes. And I think that Jake needed his voice there. Yeah. Jake needed a snarl that Julian doesn't have. It wasn't even that we didn't like what Julian did, which I actually don't remember what Julian did. But, you know, the only person that could have done it other than Jake was Rob Morrison. 
Yeah, that's right. Who should have done it? <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah, no. Well, J- J- Jake needed that kind of. It's kind of like how, um, like even Book of Mormon has Trey Parker's voice as narration from time to time because yes. his voice carries the comic effect that it car- like it, it it sets the tone for the kind of comedy he's trying to convey. And Jake has that too, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think that like the movie didn't work unless Jake was narrating it and doing the monster voices, and that's. Jake's good at that. Jake's a wonderful fucking performer. Yeah, oh, fuck yeah. He's a better performer than he is a writer. <laughs> Interesting, because that's his, yeah, that's his occupation as a writer. That's not belittling him as a writer. He's a good writer. He's mm-hmm. just a fucking great performer. Yeah, yeah. He, he, next to no shame. And that's really what makes his performances wonderful. Um, so, so that was, Psycho Sleepover was essentially the last thing we did together before we kind of split geography forever. Um, yeah. I was like, East coast makes sense for me. You were like, West coast makes sense for me. What did you do? I mean, what, what kind of exciting stuff did you do after that? Um, I don't know. I wrote a bunch of movies. I, uh, did a sketch comedy show. I did a bunch of improv. Um, I did a bunch of sketches. <gasps> talk about the Heath, Ledge. talk about Heath bars. Uh, people can go to it on YouTube too. Yeah, they can. It's called Almost Wednesday with Kirk Krober. He's you, you, look, you look embarrassed. Me just bringing it up, you look a little embarrassed. No, nah, I mean, I'm, I'm a different person than that. Sure. I, w- I wouldn't do that now. No. Um, but the day Heath Ledger died, I did <laughs> first episode of a multi-episode talk show within a larger comedy show where I was the host of a talk show. It was all supposed to be done in five minutes. And every single joke was about Heath Ledger. Yeah, and one one worse than the last. Yeah, and no one liked it. Uh, I, I have since made one friend because of that sketch because he was the only person in the audience laughing. And I went up to him. It was Doug Keller. You know Doug yeah, Keller. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I was like, Doug, thank you for being the only person laughing. And he's like, no, man, it was brave. It was great. Like... I mean, because it was, it was good. It was very funny. I'm sorry that it was insensitive, but really, as a nation, pre Dark Knight, did we really care about Heath Ledger so much that people had to fucking get upset? Who cares? Oh, I love A Knight's Tale so much. <laughs> and fucking uh, The Patriot, I believe he was in. Um, yeah. Well, the thing was, is that it, it was people, you, like, if you watch that set, there's a very classical comedy principle at play, which is you acknowledging that you're the asshole and only somebody that's this big an asshole would act this way is what you're saying to the audience. Totally. That was the frame that I wrote it. Yeah. yeah, That's how you framed it. That was the frame that every sketch was under every single subsequent week. I'm the asshole. Yeah. Which I had to stop writing because you know what? You have to be nice to do a talk show. It's really hard to write. <laughs> but that's what I – I mean that's kind of why like people never got Abo. I don't think. Like some people love it. Like you know the Doug Kellers of the world, those kinds of people love it. But it's it's why you never get like 80 percent of the audience because they're like, no, a, a movie that has this sweet of a tone is supposed to actually have likable characters. But to me the whole, the whole concept, the comedy concept was this movie does not work. <laughs> <laughs> fundamentally and that's, yeah. that's kind of what you were like to me that's a really funny concept like the the most unlikable talk show host ever yeah like you could, do, fun- you could do a sitcom like that too like where like a sitcom the main guy has to be lovable and if you make him hateable it's gonna make me laugh <laughs> they exist i just can't think of them right now 
Really? Where you're like actually supposed to hate them? I think you're supposed to hate Louie in Lucky Louie. I was going to say maybe Lucky Louie where like it, I, you don't hate him, but you do sit there going like this. is. You don't feel bad for him. Yeah. You're like, but come on. You're like, this is definitely a loveless, pathetic relationship. There's nothing that's charming about it at the end of the day. Because even like All in the Family, The Simpsons, like you go, okay, well, they're dysfunctional. But at the end of the day, they all love each other. Even Arrested Development, same thing. But uh, but not not Louie, not Lucky Louie. Do you like Lucky Louie? Yeah, well, fuck yeah, I love it. I love Lucky Louie, and people will tell me I'm wrong, and I'm like, no, I'm not. But everybody loves regular Louie, right? Yeah. I mean, I like it too, but I, I like Lucky Louie quite a bit. I like regular Louie so much better because I think regular Louie is brilliant, and Lucky Louie was a failure that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes as I say that. But, yes. You know. So um so yeah you do you do some you you kind of got involved with improv and stand up comedy for a little while. Um what about can you talk at all about without giving names or without saying anything that would be weird? Um I don't remember their names. No, no, no not the comedy stuff. You, you you ended up you were going to to sort of develop this production relationship with uh Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon really? Yeah. Oh, I thought that's what you were talking about. Well, go ahead. That sounds more interesting well, than Dan what and I pitched a movie to Nickelodeon because he's like two producer women, like. Oh were, yeah, I remember this. That like took us under our wings, but it was like, you know, there's so many examples of this out here. Like, I bet Jake and Willie talked about their like Henson experience yeah. while they were on the podcast, where it's just like, people want young talent and they want funny people, and they're like, I don't have it, so let's try to make it work, but they don't. But all they are is a producer who doesn't have work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like they're not doing anything either. And it was so exhausting to work with these two women that we worked with because they didn't get why we were funny. And they really snuffed out all of our ideas. And they didn't. We turned out with something that we like were kind of happy with. But once they were like – once our first pitch meeting went awry and they were like, all right, on to the next movie. We were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pitch that first movie, not this second movie that's terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're, so how does something – does it just fizzle out? Is that ultimately what happens? Uh, no, we emailed them. We broke up with them. You were like, fuck this. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. We did it in a really nice way being like, hey – you guys aren't trying to sell this other one. We're down to sell this other one, but we actually don't like the second idea you're pitching us on and we don't know how to write it. So also the title for that movie that we wrote, that the, 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 the outline that we wrote in pitch Nickelodeon the title we came up with was, it was a, like a, <clears throat> the concept was basically Jack Black is your uncle. The, like the, the, like whatever trope that is. And yeah. he's into LARPing live action role playing. Okay. And he brings his two kids on a to a live action role playing convention for spies. So it's basically like Man Who Knew Too Little, where like they get caught in an actual spy trap and whatever. Right. But our title was The Uncle from Uncle, <laughs> and they were like, "We don't get it." And we're like, "It's like the Man from Uncle." And they're like, "I know, but kids won't get it." And yeah. we're like, "So?" <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, uh, you know, I talked to Jason McHugh on the last episode. And he was talking about his experience with um, – they made a – he and Trey and Matt made a pilot for Fox Kids. Oh, I've seen that pilot. Time, time Warped, yeah. And he's, they were like, the thing we learned the most was that uh, like 
kids entertainment, like we didn't realize what some of the weird standards for kids entertainment was. He was like, like, for instance, like if you're going to hit somebody, you can hit them on the butt, but not on the head. He's like, you basically, you, you, you have to make everything less funny. <laughs> like, which is, know, but, butt's pretty funny. That's what I thought too. But they, it, you go back and watch that time warped pilot. There's a lot of people hitting each other in the butts in that thing. Oh, I, I watched like four minutes of it. It was like, I don't love trying that that much. <laughs> I bought it for like 50 bucks on VHS when I was like 15. <laughs> probably, I, I fucking probably broke it into pieces and snorted it. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, no, what I was going to ask about was you, you had hooked up with, I think it was like an NYU, like he was from NYU or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, my friend Jordan, we were writing partners for a while and it just really didn't work out. We're like really good friends now. Like, and I think it was just kind of one of those, like, because I worked with Doug too. And yeah. I, oh, Hyman, yeah, sure. we, we made this short called Hyman where we were basically like, Let's make the most brutal horror short we can. And at the end of the day, we wrote the feature version of it too, and I hate it so much. And Doug likes it a little bit. Like, not to say that he loves it, but he's cooler with it than I am. And, and I think it's because I was I was a writer for hire for both of these guys. They're both directors. Jordan's an NYU director, and, and Doug is Doug. And you'll meet him one day, podcast guests. You'll meet him one day. Uh, I bet you've heard a lot of him on this podcast. Yeah. Um, where I was just writing it for them, you know, and I like I got really frustrated and it my writing with Jordan actually like I quit writing after it for a while because I just found it <clears throat> so exhausting and so frustrating and we were writing these like serious horror movies with a lot of drama to them and I'm not good at that and I don't like believe in any of that and I'd love to write horror movies because I love horror movies but me writing a horror movie turns into psycho sleepover what the hell is that? I think it's an ice cream truck. <laughs> Fucking LA. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, like, let's face, like, would you say that even as you get older, um, your your strongest points is still a still a movie like Psycho Sleepover? Like, that's where you really shine. I think my dream job would be to write for the Disney Channel. Really? Yeah, because I just want to write dumb shit. <laughs> and that's all they are. The dumb it, is shit. All, it is actually all they are. It's not like <laughs> Disney Channel thinks it's this high and mighty thing. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not like Nickelodeon, which has some like actual programming, or even Cartoon Network, which has stuff like Adventure Time, and it's like it's like Disney's lowest common denominator shit. <laughs> yeah, but do, like, do, do you think you appeal to like their sort of like tween audience? I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. I think that uh, I don't know. I think that your bread and butter is my bread and butter, which is like really, uh, I don't know, like aging rockers who love horror movies and love watching weird, stupid shit that they dug up. Probably. It probably is. I just haven't written that in forever. The last thing I wrote like that was, uh, my Friday the 13th spec. Yeah. Which I actually dug. Uh, I remember I gave notes on that and I thought it was pretty, pretty sharp. You, you wrote two features right at the same time. And I, I remember reading them back to back. I wrote that. And then I wrote, um, one where Jake was a vampire and I was his Van Helsing and I tried to kill him. Didn't that cause a big fight or something? Yeah, it caused a huge fight. Why, uh, why were you fighting over this? Because he was mad that I wrote that movie. He was like insulted. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'd never read it, so I don't know if it's worth being insulted about. He didn't read it either. He was just like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, but like, come on, he's such a good vampire. <laughs> you were like, I mean it as a compliment that I wrote this movie. No, but I mean, like, I'm trying to murder him. That's the plot of the movie. No, but I think what I, re- what I read at the time was you, you wrote a, uh, again, actually, what I thought was a really cute movie about, um, I just thought it had a few sort of first draft problems that you could have sorted out. Um, right. It was about, uh, uh, oh, pa- in the apartment. It was, yeah. It was about letting, letting this guy sort of bunk up with this couple that was broke. Yeah. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, I think it was called commune. I don't remember though. Yeah. It was good. And that's the kind of movie I want to write. Like, I think that that movie, I tried to write hard and I failed hard, but I just want to write like a broad, broad comedies. But like, I don't know, you know, like I want to write the house arrest. I don't think, I, yeah, I mean, that House Arrest and, and that Kami movie, I liked a lot. I don't think that, I don't really think you failed. I think you just stopped. Yeah, now, there is a thing about, like, becoming rusty where yeah. I just don't like anything I write now. And, you know, like, it's difficult to power through when you're like, but this sucks. Have you ever considered maybe, like, getting some people together who want to work with you? And really playing that producer's role and being like, we're going to do a story session, we're going to do a whiteboarding session, we're going to get it up here, and I want somebody to go off and do a script version of it. No one wants to work with anyone anymore. Really? Everybody's really independent? Yeah. Why do you think that is? It sounds like you think that that's like a new thing. I think the film school fosters that. Yeah. And I think that L.A. destroys that. That's a bummer. I think that, like... Something that I'm realizing about LA, the further I'm out here, even people I love, is that everybody's just looking out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Even like my best friends, even myself, like because it's hard. LA's hard. It's a hard place. Where it's like, you know, like I like what Jake and Willie are doing with the sketch things, and they've invited me to write with them, and I will. But I'm still struggling. Yeah. Well, you should really take advantage of that. I think. I know it's totally just easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. When you haven't written for like two years. To yeah, like, but what's their what's what's what capacity is their invitation? Like, show up and brainstorm with them, or what? No, it's like write a sketches. If we like them, we'll make them. Submit a script. Okay. Yeah, and it's like you know, I just did comedy the other day for the first time in like forever. I did like a, a character at a stand-up show, and like took me like three drafts of writing a character before I found one that I was okay with, and then I did it, and I, you know, it was okay. It's just really discouraging. Like, having Emerson Comedy Workshop was amazing because we had to put on two shows. Yep. And our friends would come because they, why wouldn't they? They lived in the same building. They lived in the same building and they had to bring fucking soda from upstairs down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it wasn't hard. It was like, it was beautiful. It was like, and the hustle. And the game is why I don't like really. I don't want to. I don't want like listening to the stories that Jake and Willie have about being Hollywood writers. I don't want that yeah. at all. Right. Like I cave. You know. Like I think that was like. I think that the one thing I really learned from making Psycho Sleepover was okay. Notes happen, and you know, notes from Adam were just decisions he made. And not a studio or whatever, but like I didn't like them and I didn't handle them well. Yeah. Where it's like, 
Adam made the movie he needed to make because he's the director. And writing with Doug and Jordan was the same thing. Where like they're the director and they have the division, and I didn't like deal with that very well on any of those projects. But like, I'm not the director in any facet of anything. Where it's like, so what am I supposed to write? But in a in a sketch environment, it's more disposable, don't you think? Where it's like you don't really have to get too hung up on if a if you know that that's going to be Alana's sketch and that's going to be Kurt's sketch and you you can kind of do that a little bit more and you don't have to feel like oh I didn't you know they didn't they didn't want to make the movie I wrote sure and sketch was awesome it just took fucking practice yeah i don't know i i think you thrive best in a um let's put on a show gang kind of you know artistically pure environment i do yeah I mean, that's that. Honestly, when I make my movies, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm like, what looks fun? What's what looks like it's worth my time? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I always wanted to work with you because of that. Yeah. And I think that if we didn't live where we live, we would have. No doubt. I mean, there, there's no way that it, I wouldn't. Yeah, we would have done something together. We were talking about it, like when we lived in LA together. Yeah, and I think we were gonna try to maybe do something remotely, but it's kind of unrealistic. It's unrealistic, especially with time zones issues. Yeah. And, like, my job, like, sucks it out of me where it's, like, I don't want to write when I come home. Yeah. Yeah. I have I, – I, I, I don't – I used to feel that way as well, and then I made Sexually Frank, and I snapped out of it. And I think what helps is, like, um, when you walk around going, I'm going to make a movie, and you keep, like, flapping your jaw about it, people start – people are like, so when are we shooting the movie? And I'm like, oh, fuck, I better go schedule it no matter how tired I am. And – uh it was definitely a lot easier to be like, Jeff, you write the movie this time. Like that, because writing really, even though like writing should be the independent, easy part of the process, for me, that takes the most amount of discipline, the most amount of concentration. Everything after that is kind of like just getting balls rolling. Yeah. One thing I thrive at is like once footage exists, once I have something to bring home, uh, once a podcast is recorded, I, I, I get really itchy until it's edited and produced and delivered someplace. So I, like, I, I really do well with that. And I think that's a wonderful skill. And, and I definitely don't have that, which is why I enjoy putting on a show because it's disposable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I have to commit to doing this, that. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what the South Park writers have always said, like about like, that's why they impose these, you know, sort of weird deadlines on themselves is because that's how they work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite that way. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I've, <laughs> we made LCU dot and it turned out to be fucking brilliant apparently, but yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I could work that way, but it's not, it's not what fulfills me. Um, what fulfills you? I, I, I don't know. It, working on putting together a giant meal over the course of a few years, um, and then getting it on Blu-ray and putting it on a shelf and being like, if anybody ever wants to watch it, there it is. With, yeah, you're like the completest. Yeah, I have like a, a very completest attitude about these things. But of course, yeah. what, I'm always I've always had a what's next attitude. Yeah, yeah. Like even in the music I listen to, like like I'm like all right, give me the next fucking thing, give me the next movie, give me the next. Like I don't play favorites with my art. That's why you. That's probably why you have a really broad, a really broad knowledge of of like art and culture. Yeah, because I can digest it and say, okay, what's next? Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to, like, before I met you guys, I kind of focused on my movies that I, you know, the ones that I watched, and I would watch them many times, and I would study them very closely. 
but you guys helped me kind of break away. And, you know, we, I started <laughs> doing things like mega movie Sundays with you guys where we would sneak into four movies, uh, yeah, like racing stripes and hostage and shit like that. Yeah. Like the only criteria was that it, I don't know that it was a moving picture film. <laughs> yeah. There was no criteria. There was nothing that would have stopped us from watching a movie. No. And, uh, and that was kind of, I, I actually, I actually think that was helpful in my development. I don't really know why. Sure. You got to see some bad shit with some good shit. Yeah. I, I, uh, there's like, I mentioned him earlier, this Neil Murphy guy who I'm friends with. He was talking about like, if he ever designs a class, uh, for, cause we have MFAs now and we may teach. He's like, I'd love to do a, love to do a bad movie class. And he's like, and by that, I mean like get, get together some really kind of bad scenes or scenes that everybody can probably agree don't, don't work and play it and let the class laugh, you know, let them giggle at it. And then when they're done, be like, all right, so now like I'm going to pass out papers and I want you to tr- describe as specifically and articulately as possible. What didn't work about that? Like, cause if you can really define for yourself, if you can say it out loud, what didn't work, that's got to help you in the edit. Or but I feel writing. like you shouldn't be allowed to show something like Troll 2. Yeah, no, no, no. He should have to show, like, Cop Out. Yeah, like something that kind of just got fucked up. Yeah. Um, by, 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 like the, by virtue of, like, too many hands in the soup or something like that. Yeah, right? I don't know what the fuck happened with Cop Out. <laughs> it just completely fell apart. Bruce Willis happened with I think weed happened to cop out. I guess, but I, I I'm a big fan of Red State, and weed definitely happened to Red State. Did it? I mean, you smoke weed. Does it like what would what effect would that have on your comedy? It's horrible. Weed's horrible for comedy. Really? I mean, some people it isn't. Some people it like takes away. I don't know. It's like good for punch ups. Sure. I mean, I've heard that Carlin joke. Yeah, of course, uh, right. But like, I think that it just encourages. Complacency. Yeah. And complacency is not the hard work that is movies. You should be caring about what you're writing. Yeah. Even if it is so shit. I think it works for a lot of comics because a lot of comics have that, like, well, I don't care vibe. Yeah, right. Well, well, that's their performance. But realistically, they're crafting every word, every joke. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't believe I when when Kevin Smith became a pothead I was like eh yeah well nah. he, he may have he he's the kind of guy that I think it might have I think he was starting to get really guarded and embarrassed about who he was because a lot of people were cool policing him and the weed took that away it was like you know what I've been accused of pandering to a specific audience but that audience is what has brought me to where I am and I'm going to pander to them and I'm going to use this drug to help me not be embarrassed about it. I think that, I think that you go through phases with it too, where sometimes you can be, I've been a productive pothead writer and I've been a non-productive pothead writer Yeah, where I think that you need, I think that like cop out was just a, you know, a guy who just wanted to get high and he didn't want to make a movie. Yeah. There's a difference. There's a guy who wants to get high and wants to make a movie, and there's a guy who wants to get high and doesn't want to make a movie. Well, one thing, if, if, if you're ever <laughs> so bored that you want to watch something, that, that, that you want to help save Cop Out just a little bit for yourself, uh, the Blu-ray of that movie has uh, like a mega, like I, I think, what was it? Was it Universal? No, it was Warner Brothers. Oh, they're, they're blue, like they're, uh, 
their Blu-rays for Watchmen and shit like that had mega movie mode, where it was basically it was the, because the Blu-ray disc is so huge. The director can stand there and talk about every little thing and kind of explain to you. He can set up deleted scenes, and it's like the a four-hour experience of the movie. Well, Kevin Smith did that with Cop Out, and you're like, oh, this is way more entertaining than the movie. Sure it is, man. Listening to Kevin Smith talk about his movies is better than watching Kevin Smith movies. Yeah, he's he's always said that, and I, it's something that obviously I feel a kinship with him on is like, you know, maybe in a way the movies are just sort of icebreakers. Maybe they're just sort of conversation starters for like, get to know me and then follow my shit and I'll be very open and, you know, maybe we can, I don't know, you can watch me, watch my development and maybe it'll be interesting and maybe it'll help you. Frank, you should become a cam girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're both watching each other on cam right now, and it's like I know, and I'm naked, <laughs> just totally naked from the pants down. Uh, yeah, look at that, Kurt Krober titties. Well, with with the titties, I think we should probably wrap it up. But Kurt, uh, this, this you know, I would say this podcast is fairly representative of the sorts of conversations we've been having for ten years. Yeah, it's nice to see you, Frankie. It's nice to have a conversation with you and not just a brief little uh aim chat you as well yeah the pod the, the podcast is kind of like you know how like i think david mitchell from um from that that show uh i can't remember the show's name you know who he is british Skids. yeah british comedian yeah yeah he's on the it crowd no it's not the it crowd it's oh, he's um on, uh, he's on misfits no not misfits he's on it, the mighty boosh <laughs> just naming british shows at this point no it's the one where uh it, like it it's it's from his first person view. It goes from him and the other guy. Oh, friends! <laughs> Fuck you. Um. Anyway, he he made a joke once about like how like when you go out peep for cop when you go peep, out for coffee with somebody. Peep show. Yes, peep show. Thank you. You knew it all along. You fuck. Yeah. Um. When you go out with a friend for coffee, you're going for the chat, not for the coffee. Yeah. But it would be weird without the coffee. Yeah, right. Somehow the podcast is like the coffee. <laughs> like it allows me to have meaningful conversations um, that, you know, like would I ever have talked to Julian under any other circumstances? I'm not sure. No, but you know? why not? Yeah. So it's, it kind of it, it does something nice there. Um, so it's cool. So thank you, Curry. It would it would not be. Uh, in the interest of being a completist, it would not be complete without you. Everybody knows. Everybody who looks back at anything I've done is like, what happened to fucking Kurt? Or, you know, what's Kurt doing these days? They always ask me that. Living in L.A., chilling. Chilling. Kurt Krober, ladies and gentlemen. Um, do, do you still have a website? Or, like, can people, like, see what you're up to in any way? Twitter, right? Twitter is the best yeah, way. Twitter. Twitter's where I write all the only jokes I write. At NerdTram? Nerd tram. Yeah. Um, all right, Kurt. It was great seeing you. I'm going to hit the sack, but uh, I love you much. I really love do. You, man. Have yeah. a good sleep. See you, brother. Say hi to Nina. I will. Bye, buddy. Bye.